There we go. Uh, typically, I am recorded so that we can put a podcast out and uh, people, we have some people around the world, like I have a friend in Siberia who listens to it. We have a couple of people in, in the United Arab, United Arab Emirates who listen to it apparently. Either that or they somehow think that by listening to it they can spam us. I don't know. Um, and then the Morrises in Florida listen to it every night. Typically you guys can't be picked up. And for some of you, I, I know that's a good thing because it comes from my microphone right here. This is realistically the main reason I'm mic'd because I could speak to you without it. That and the fact that, yes, I know, Jan... I kick into a conspiratorial whisper. You're the one who told me about that. Um, but tonight, I I, uh, I got a little busy this weekend. I traveled about 1,100 miles in the past three days, uh, and most of it has been in a circle. And uh, I I left. Yeah, it's been bad. I, I visited Eau Claire twice, Ashland twice, and Rochester once. Um, but I forgot the recorder at my house, so it is recording on this thing and not via the soundboard. So if you speak tonight, there's a decent chance that you will be recorded. And if you say something brilliant, I will say it again in the microphone and put it into the podcast so it sounds like it's made. There we go. Thank you, John. I was hoping somebody would laugh. I thought it was funny. Um, so what I'm saying is, if you don't want to be recorded, don't speak tonight. I, I, don't, I would love for you to speak, though. So... We're going through the book of Judges. If you would turn in uh, the Tapestry Bibles, it's page 176 in your Bible. It is uh, chapter 8, verses 22 through 35, and the scripture will appear behind me also. There. So this is what the word of the Lord says. The Israelites said to Gideon, Rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you have saved us out of the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request, that each of you give me uh, an earring from your share of the plunder. Oops, I'm sorry. I can't barely see here. Uh, it was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. They answered, we'll be glad to give you them. So they spread out a garment, and each man threw a ring from his plunder into, uh, onto it. The weight of the gold rings he asked for uh, came to 700 shekels, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, or the chains that were on their camels' necks. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, which he placed uh, in Ophrah, um, his town. All Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. Uh, during Gideon's lifetime, the land enjoyed peace for 40, uh, excuse me, enjoyed peace 40 years. Jerubbabel, son of Joash, went back home to live. He had 70 sons of his own, for he had, he had many wives. His concubine, concubine uh, who lived in Shechem, also bore him a son, whom he named Abimelech. Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father Joash uh, in Ophrah uh, of the Abrazites. 
No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baal Berea, Bereth, excuse me, uh, as their god, and did not remember the Lord their God, who had rescued them out of the hands of all of their enemies on every side. They also failed to show kindness to the family of Jerubbabel, uh, that is, Gideon, for all the good things he had done for them. Now, guys, I'm trying to avoid something that I have a tendency to do, and it sometimes drives you guys nuts, and I know that. Uh, and, <laughs> and my jokes. Thanks a lot. Wow, this is, I'm tired. You shouldn't pick on me. Uh, so, actually, Will, would you do me a favor? The house light things are down. Can you push them up? So, the issue is this: is I can get into, to, I enjoy some of the picky small details, and and I know sometimes I can focus on those a little too much because you guys have told me they're like hey we we like the fact that you, you focus on a book of the bible but we we don't really like it necessarily when when the sermon's about one word so i've been trying to hit on big themes I, I love the fact that nobody was like no robert really we love it when you focus on one one word instead what i heard was uh-huh <laughs> that's real nice thanks made the what is it the, what is the bird the fleas of a thousand dogs infest your bed so anyhow I've been trying to hit the big big stories, but we need to focus a little bit on Gideon here. Gideon last week was the hero. Gideon last week... Is it not on? There. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Gideon last week was the hero. Gideon last week was the guy who said, I will trust God, and God did amazing things through Gideon. I mean, he didn't just call up uh, thousands of men and, and fight that way. Uh, God uses Gideon, thousands of men show up, and uh, then, then God basically says, no, 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 we need to use less. God starts off by calling Gideon mighty warrior, and Gideon becomes that mighty warrior. It's an absolute incredible story. The problem with, with our stories sometimes is we hit people at one moment, and let's face it, all of us can be good for one moment. The, the way I like to think of it is like tennis players. Okay, Anybody in the room a pretty decent tennis player? Okay, there we go, there we go. Anybody else? Okay. I'm not. I stink at tennis because I used to play racquetball. And the, the, the difference between tennis and racquetball is huge. Okay, You have rackets and you have a ball. But the difference is this. Racquetball, I'm aiming typically, not always, but I'm aiming at the bottom of where the net would be. I'm aiming for the wall, a section about that big. And so when I would play tennis, which didn't happen very often, I would have this tendency to, to do my normal racquetball swing, which is the exact opposite of what you want. But even as a terrible tennis player, every now and then the ball can come to me and I can swing the racket and just hit it perfect. And I don't mean just like, oh, it just goes over the top. I mean, I hit it. And it goes like that far over the net, and there's just enough spin on it where it just kind of kicks down and goes off the side. And what I want to do at that time is just throw my racket in the air and just be like, I'm over. I'm through. Okay. You know, that, that old George Costanza thing where you just leave at your high moment. Have you ever done that before? Actually, you know, said something, everybody laughed, and you're just like, that's it. I'm out of here. That's what I want to do in tennis. But it doesn't work that way. See, the difference between me and a pro is not that they can hit one shot that's really good, and I can't. I can hit one shot that's really good. The difference between me and a pro is they do it 99 out of 100 times. 
I do it one out of a thousand times. And sometimes we can tell these stories and, and we, we see these amazing moments and we forget that there's, there's the rest of life there. Have you ever heard of an absolutely wonderful story and then you start researching more about it and you go, oh, I really don't like that person anymore. Where, where you read some story and you, you, you just hear this, this thing where somebody does something incredible and then you start finding out about their life and you're like, oh, oh. See, Gideon is kind of like that. Gideon does something amazing, but he doesn't finish strong at all. He does an incredible act of faith, and that lasts for a while in his life. And then he ends kind of where he began. So let's talk about it a little bit. This is the story of Gideon at the end. And you're going to see two names there. There's Gideon and there's Jeroboam. It, which basically, they kind of fit together. And we'll talk about their names a little bit. Drubbable is a, is a name that is given to him by his dad in an attempt to save his life. Uh, if, you, if you read uh, last week the scripture for that, basically Gideon destroys this altar to Baal and this Asherah pole. And when he does, the people of the town want to kill him. And Gideon's father saves his life by basically saying, hey, if Baal's real... Let Baal defend himself. He is trouble. He is the one with whom Baal contends. And that's what kind of saves Gideon's life is, okay, well, if Baal's real, uh, you know, Baal will take care of him. And Baal doesn't take care of him, therefore Baal must not be real. But instead of staying in that victory, what he does instead is he finishes in a very, very poor manner. And it was described there. There's, there's one that's obvious, and then there's one that's not quite as obvious, and it comes back to, to the meaning of, of uh, a name, a Hebrew meaning of a name. But the one that's obvious is this. Well, he, he is told he wants... Does anybody else kind of find the Burger King King kind of kind of freaky? <laughs> yeah, and kind of like the, the thing of nightmares. I'm kind of glad Charlie's not in the room right now because I didn't even think... But he's just kind of... He's just kind of creepy. But... The people of Israel see that, that, um, that Gideon has been this great leader, and they come to him and they say, be our king. Now, do you remember from the scripture what Gideon says? Yes. And he doesn't just, he says no, but he says what you just said. God will be your king. Because they come to him and say, be our king and your son and your grandson. And Gideon says, no, 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 no. I won't rule over you. And my son won't rule over you, and my grandson won't rule over you, uh, but God will rule over you. Wonderful, magnificent statement, if he'd lived it out. But instead what he does is he says, hey, give me one earring, and he gets a lot of gold from that, and he makes an ephod. Now what an ephod is is this. The high priest had priestly garments. Okay, if you were raised Catholic, you know that the Pope, or actually all priests have certain garments that they wear. If I were to wear the little collar, that would be viewed as inappropriate, even though I would like it every now and then. <laughs> Sorry, guys, as a Baptist preacher, if I show up at a scene, nobody goes, there's a pastor, we need him. When I visit as a chaplain in the hospital, they go, so are you in training? Because, you know, the collar sends a message. But, what? Or a patient. Or a patient. That's true. Yeah. Are, are you a crazy person just walking into my room? Do I need to push the button? 
Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Haven't had that one yet. That'll probably happen tomorrow. Uh, so the, these garments tell something, but at the same time, they have specific meanings. Okay, like the Pope wears red shoes. There's meaning there. It's like, this is, is not just for Catholicism. This happened in Hebrew thought, too. The entire priestly garment is uh, is described. What we want to talk about, though, is, is this right here. That is the ephod. Now, what you can't see right there as well is the breastplate. And breastplate had 12 different stones on it and also probably had a little small bag behind it for the urum and thummum. I never can pronounce these things. I'm sorry. Uh, which were basically black and white stones that were used as a way of knowing God's will. And I say probably had a bag. We don't know, entirely know how they're described or, or how they're used. Uh, we don't entirely know where they were. We know that they are on or in the breastplate. We don't know for sure. But what is speculated is that there was a small little bag there, and the high priest would take his hand and stick it in and pull out the stone, and whichever one he pulled out would be the answer. But we don't know. And they didn't use it very much, which is mainly why we don't know. Uh, we know for a fact it wasn't used ever again after the Babylonian captivity, which was early on. Okay, um, So this is what it would look like. All right, now I want you to think back to the scripture we just, just read. Gideon, they say, be our king. And he goes, I won't be your king. God's going to be your king. But I'd like, some, I'd like a small amount of gold. And what he makes with the gold is this. Now that's not a crown. But it does signify something. Does he wear it? We don't know. Because it just says he placed it in Ophrah. Exactly. And that people worshipped there. Now Gideon's story begins begins with him doing what? 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 Yeah, I'm sorry. That's true. In, in relation to his name of Jerubbabel. What? Destroying Ends with him destroying an idol. So the story begins with him destroying an idol, and it ends with him creating one. Which is why, if you notice, he goes from the person who is called Gideon, 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 to then his other name begins to be used. Now Gideon, here, let's, let's just kind of hit on these names for a second. Let me make sure I've got, yeah. Gideon means... Uh, the feller of trees. And, and focus on the feller there. He is, he is destroying it. And, and that's a hint to the astropole. He is causing the pole to fall down. That's a wonderful, powerful name that can also be known uh, kind of as the destroyer. I mean, he is destroying that which is opposed to God. Whereas, drubble means let Baal contend. Now think of these names again because this is significant. They don't just swap names because, you know, it's like, oh, well, for now I just want to use Bob instead of Robert. <laughs> There's a message here. Matter of fact, when we were reading this, a couple of you might have been like, who is this drawable character? That doesn't make any sense at all. We were talking about Gideon, now this guy's brought in instead. No, no, no. He has gone from the one who is the destroyer of idols to the one who is the creator of the idol, and suddenly his name is, is changed. 
Let Dale contend. Who do you think's winning at this point? I mean, earlier, Gideon was the one who God called mighty warrior, and he was the mighty warrior. And now at the end, it's kind of like Baal's winning. Here's another thing. We have one son that's mentioned. Apparently, Gideon was prolific. Seventy kids is a lot of kids. And one son is mentioned His name is Abimelech. Now, a lot of Hebrew names... I didn't hear what you said. It could have been great. (laughs) I'm guessing not, though, since your response was like this. Um, I would 70 kids? I would. That was 70 sons. That's true, 70 sons. Who knows how many sisters? At that point, I would be kind of like George Foreman, and all of them would just be named, you know, Abimelech. (laughs) Abimelech, one, two, three. Um, Now, guys, we we think this was his his real name. It might not have been completely his real name. A lot of names in the Old Testament and the New Testament are nicknames. Now, we we treat them as as though they're so different from us. But how many people in the room have a nickname that is a part of your life because of something you did or something about yourself that somebody else kind of picked? Yeah, several people. If you, I can tell if somebody knows me from high school or college by what name they call me, uh, because most of you don't know this, but my, my name is Robert Adam Terrell. If you're really fast, you just figured out what my initials spell. So all through high school, I was known as Rat. Uh, in college, I never introduced myself as Rat, and I was known as Rat, and it finally died in seminary, and I just think that's because all the pastors are like, it's not holy to call him Rat. I don't know that. <laughs> we have nicknames just like it. I mean, every now and then I hear Natalie call Eric, Eric, hey, stupid. I mean, apparently that... <laughs> so, I don't know why. I've been picking on Eric today. Probably because he deserves it. Um, so, guys, we have nicknames the same way. This was probably his name. And here's what it means. Mm. Alright, why did you say that? That's oh. not good. Why? Well, because that means the king is Yeah. Of, I can't I can't pronounce it. What Gideon, Gideon. just go with Gideon. Jeroboam. Gideon responds with, No, I won't be your king. God will be your king. And then somewhere after having seventy sons, and then you know, kind of a semi concubine sons from concubines are not illegitimate. It's it's a different culture. This son he names or nicknames my father's the king. Yeah, my dad's the king. Except if your father's the king. Nobody picks on on a prince. Which is why, if you read the next chapter, Aaron, he kills all his brothers. See, Gideon's Gideon's life, Gideon's life goes from him doing everything right until the end. He's doing everything wrong. Israel goes from a time period where they are worshiping false gods and, and because of being oppressed by another people, and they are freed from that, and then they begin to worship false ephods because of somebody who set them free. 
I think the, the problem quite often is, is that we begin to, to think that the, the dramatic acts are the most important thing, but the most important thing is how we finish. And Gideon didn't finish well. He's almost mocked in this story. I mean, after how he was described earlier, and, and how it takes him, and he's like, he's insignificant, but he's a mighty warrior. And he becomes this mighty warrior. He's almost mocked in the telling of this story. He's not doing anything right. Have you ever known somebody who came to faith in Christ and they were just passionate about following Jesus for a year? I've, I've known people who would correct me on things like, you're just not, you, you need to be out there more, you need to be doing this for God, and then they just aren't following God. See, our faith is not a sprint. It's a distance run. Anybody can be a wonderful follower of Christ for a year. Anybody can be a wonderful, sacrificial servant for Jesus for one day. It's about how we finish. Scripture says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now, this could be one of those things where it makes makes you feel guilty, but it's actually freeing. See, a long-distance run is much more forgiving than a short sprint. It's amazing to me uh, how people can have things happen in marathons or in ultra-marathons that you would think would put them out of the race, and they just get back up and run again. This one is disgusting, okay? I will freely admit this is disgusting. But those of you who know me know that I love what, if we were, we were scholarly, we would call scatological humor. But since I'm not I'm not scholarly, it's poop humor, okay? The, the women's world record marathon, and I cannot think of her name right now. She's a British marathoner, was set on a race that she pooped in the middle of. Now, if you know anything about marathons at all, people will just go to the bathroom pretty much anywhere. I did the Chicago Marathon, and you're running, and you're running, and you're running, and you go under an overpass, and suddenly there are thousands of people on the side of the road peeing. Because they somehow think that they're not seen, even though they don't realize <laughs> there are thousands of people on the road. You know, the, the, the streets were, were flowing, shall we say. Okay? This marathon, her stomach gets sick, and she... <laughs> If you look this up, I'm not going to post a photo of this during the sermon because I just think that's semi-inappropriate. But apparently, I think it's okay to talk about it. But if you if you look for it, you will find her. Uh, Paula Radcliffe, there we go, that's her name, uh, sets the record. And you search for it, and she runs over to the side of the road because her stomach is sick. And she grabs a hold of uh, one of the car rail things, and she... And the best part is there's a guy standing beside her doing this. <laughs> And I don't know about you, but I'm thinking in a marathon, if you poop, the race is over. <laughs> but that's not true, because it's a distance run, it's not a sprint. You will never see in the Olympics somebody doing the 100-meter dash, walk over the side, <laughs> and poop, and then get back in the race. That's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm just saying unprofessional. 
Yeah, that's why you know in the Olympics they don't have porta potties on the side. Um, or are you talking about me? No, I'll never. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll shoot this in your eye, uh, guys. She just got right back up and ran the race. Set the world record. That's a good thing she stopped. It is. Because running a race to finish that is a distance, that is an endurance race, is very different from a sprint. Anybody can handle the pain for 10 seconds. Endure for two hours. That's different. So I want us to think just a little bit about running a, a long-distance race. Because I think our faith has more to do with a long-distance race than it does anything. And there are people in our faith who come across as sprinters. But it doesn't matter. What matters is finishing. There are people in our faith who will never do something dramatic. But I don't think God's looking for us to do dramatic things. He's looking for us to have a life of faith. I've mentioned this before. One of the churches I, uh, I uh, served at was a church in Missouri. And I don't know people's tithing. I don't know. I don't know anybody at, uh, at Tapestry's tithing other than my own. And that's it. Um, but I found out once from our financial secretary, uh, because we had this one janitor who uh, somebody was telling a story about. He was a great guy, but he was very, very... Detail-oriented, not in a detail-oriented sense of like, we have to make sure all these details are done. His job, he had the mindset of, well, you do this, 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 and this, and this, and that's what you do. And one day, um, the minister of music had, as a joke, said, hey, don't forget to water those plants in the corner, thinking that the janitor would go, oh, they're plastic. And he didn't think that, and he watered the plants. And the minister of music, we all love this janitor so much, the minister of music, didn't want to embarrass him. So for years he was watering these plants. And we just all knew it, but we would never, we weren't going to tell him and embarrass him. And uh, I found out about that when he was watering the plants and I was about to tell him those are plastic. And uh, the secretary was like, don't do that. He's been doing it for years. and It was, it was uh, a joke. We thought he would see that it, they were plastic. He didn't, and we don't want to embarrass him. We'll just put up with him watering. And uh, I said, oh, really? And she said, just in case you, you think less of him, this is the only person I'll ever tell you about tithing. This janitor, he's the second largest tither in the church. The reason that's huge is because uh, janitors don't get paid a lot. He was convinced, he's like, I believe in what's happening here, and I want to give as much as I can. And he was regularly just going without so that he could give and support missions and he could give and support what was happening in the church. Nobody would know. I think I was the only person on staff who knew how much, or I didn't know how much he gave, that knew that he gave in relation that much. And the only reason was was because his financial secretary didn't want anybody to think less of him. It'd be real easy to, to make fun of the guy who couldn't couldn't realize that plastic plants didn't need to be watered. I think he knew. He may have. He may not have. I don't know. God's not going to look at him one day and go, hey, you didn't know those were plastic. What he's going to do instead is he's going to say, you are faithful every stinking day. The, the saints in Scripture are the holy ones. That literally means anybody who's a believer. But guys, if there were special saints, that's the type of person who gets to be a special saint.
Quite often what we do instead is we do the person who does the dramatic. It's amazing to me the number of kings who have been declared saints that if you study their life, they were not saints at all. But they do big things and we, we like to declare that the impressive thing. But the reality of it is is that the hare is the hero of the story. Slow and steady. <laughs> My hair is the... <laughs> yes, I'm sorry, the tortoise. Thank you. I did slow and steady for the hair. But you understand what I mean. We need to finish strong. And the beauty of that is finishing strong, if it's all about that, it, does, it means you don't have to be the strongest player on the field. It means you have to finish strong. You don't have to be the person who can give up more than anybody else. You don't have to be the person who can speak in such a way that everyone listens. You don't have to be the person who has the voice of an angel that when you when you sing, people know there's a guy. You don't have to be the person who thinks of everybody else before yourself. You need to be the person who's just going slow and steady and finishes. Sprints require that you be the fastest person there. Uh, marathons require that you be the fastest person over a two-hour race. Here's the next thing. The thing I love about our faith as an endurance run is, is that it, we will all fall eventually. Everybody in this room, we will eventually, yeah, you notice the person in the corner? Yeah, that's the one that I love too. Before we go any further, just look at her. I love this. Everybody else is like, run, run. She's like, oh! Guys, you will fall. You will eventually you will rebel against God or you will uh, not respond in faith. You will fall. I fall. And the beauty of it being an endurance race is you get back up again. I love the Olympics. I love watching it. And every now and then you're going to see a race where, where there's somebody who's running a short race and they're, they're doing really well and then something happens and the race is completely over. There's an athlete that comes from LSU. She was one of the best hurlers in the world, not this past Olympics, but two Olympics ago. Lolo Jones, who is a believer in Jesus Christ and, and from LSU and one of the funniest people on Twitter, in my opinion, uh, was supposed to win the hurdles. She'd gone through the semifinals. She'd gone through, or excuse me, gone through the quarterfinals, gone through the semifinals, and she won each of her heats with ease. And they were talking about how she was probably going to win this. And she kicks in the gear and is just a going, and is just a going, and just going until the eighth hurdle where she hits it. And when she hits that hurdle, race is over. Everybody knows it. There is no recovery from hitting that hurdle. And, and she finishes the race just because she wants to finish it. But she's devastated. Christianity is not about you getting it all right. Christianity is not about God forgiving you and then you be perfect from then on. If it is, then the apostles are really, really poor Christians because we have examples of them sinning and rebelling against God after they come to faith in them. When you fall... And I don't say if, I say when. You get back up again. When you doubt, you get back up again. When you struggle to do what you're convinced God has told you to do, you get back up again. Because it is about the finish. Not about how fast. I hate using Disney movies, but I love using Pixar movies. So here's my next bit of advice. 
<laughs> so some of you already know what I'm going to say. It's great advice for so many things. Just keep swimming. And I will say, even though my kids are too old now, I'm pretty sure that our whole family will go see, when the new one comes out, Finding Dory. We will probably go see it as a family because all of us love Pixar movies. But I do love this advice because I think it's so true in so many things. There, there is stupidity sometimes in, in perseverance when you're just like, I'm just going to continue. But there's also great beauty in us just continuing. When, when you're convinced God wants you to do something and, and, and you struggle with it, the answer is just keep swimming, just keep swimming. When, when you're convinced God wants you to do something and you fall and you do the exact opposite, the answer sometimes is just keep swimming, just keep swimming. There's so much that can happen from that. There's so much good that can happen from that. When, when you have this person that you are trying to share your faith with and everything that you say that comes out of your mouth just sounds stupid and you're convinced that all you're doing is convincing them that God doesn't exist rather than helping them to see that he does exist, God's not looking at you and going, oh, you're a failure. He's hoping that you're going to try again. When, when you take him at his word that he's serious about this love your enemy stuff and you try to love the person who drives you absolutely berserk and in the midst of trying to love them, they don't see how hard you were trying to love them and all that happens is you just want to blow up because you do something really nice for, for them and instead of them going, well, thank you, I noticed that you have changed towards me. That's awesome. What they do instead is they critique what you just did for them and if you're like me, you're just like, this is stupid! Don't you see how nice I was to you? Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Maybe you guys don't struggle with that, but I do. And I'm saying that sarcastically because I know plenty of us in the room struggle with that. When your preacher is just telling stupid jokes and doing a story that continues over and over again on a small detail and you just want to, you know, tell him to shut up, just keep swimming. <laughs> okay, maybe that had something personal there. Guys, the beauty of, of our, our faith being a distance race is it's about finishing. And you just, you get up and you keep on going. Scripture says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul says that. What a wonderful thing to be able to say. Gideon couldn't. Gideon could say, I fought the good faith during this time. I kept the faith during this time. But when I ended, I said wonderful things like, I won't be your king, but then I named my son, my father, the king. I said wonderful things like, God will rule over you, and then I created something that they began to worship instead. And if you read the next chapter, the whole chapter is about what happens to his family as a result of his setting this up. Abimelech, his son, actually kills all of his brothers. Not, not Gideon's brothers. Gideon's sons. Abimelech kills all of his brothers. 
Gideon's family becomes destructive. Rather than being an example for all, they're an example of what not to do. So, before I ask you if you have anything to add, and before I end, I want to show you this story. This is from the 1968 uh, Summer Olympics in Mexico City. This is the final reward ceremony at track and field at the Mexico City Olympics. After about three men deliver awards, and so for them, the long ordeal is over. But what about the others? So, before I end, does anybody have anything that needs to be added? Uh, who wrote the book of Judges? Really good question. I would love to be able to answer that for you. The problem is, is we don't know entirely. We think Samuel did. But it's one of the books that we don't entirely know the answer uh, to that question. So, you think it was written by one person? Uh, yes. Well, written, yes. Uh, you gotta, again, remember this is an oral culture. Um, stories are told nonstop, so he's probably recording stories, I believe through the inspiration of God, but uh, he's probably recording stories that other people have told him, that it's an oral history that's been passed down to him. Probably Samuel, who some people actually list as the last judge, um, but probably more a prophet than a judge, 
First and Second Samuel are written by him. He's huge in uh, uh, Israelite culture, uh, Hebrew thought. Uh, he's probably who wrote it down, but we just simply don't know. Anybody else? Okay, then I just want to end with this. Because I, I think uh, John Aquari's words are great. I love the fact that he says, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. He sent me 5,000 miles to finish. Jesus Christ did not die on the cross and defeat death for you to start to believe in him. He did that so that you would finish. So that you would be with him forever. So that, that heaven could begin on earth now in our lives. That one day it will be finalized through him finalizing it. But that the spirit can be in our lives now. And we can be in communion with God. So live that out. In the midst of the struggle. In the midst of not knowing what to do. In the midst of knowing what to do and not being able to do it. In the midst of some days faith being incredibly easy. And other days it feeling like the strongest struggle that anybody has ever faced in their life. In the midst of knowing how to love someone. And in the midst of not having any earthly idea how to love someone. In the midst of knowing how to forgive someone. And in the midst of not knowing how to even forgive yourself. In the midst of all that. Remember, Jesus Christ did not just do all this just so that you could start. He did it so you could finish. So finish strong. I'm going to be in the back if you need somebody to pray with. I would love to pray with you. Otherwise, let's pray right now and let's sing to the one who wants us to finish. Pray with me, please. Father, help us to finish. Help us to get up when we fail and finish strong. I pray this in the name of the one who, who made Gideon a mighty warrior. And in the name of the one who wanted him to continue strong. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please, guys, let's sing.